Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 26. This is your host, Blem. Listeners, welcome back for another episode. As always, thank you for joining us. This is your co-host, Mike D. First things first, Mike D. Happy Turkey Day. What are you thankful for, man? You know, you can't put me on the spot like this. I have usually I'm a, a deep thinker. But friends, family, podcasting, am, come on, something. I'm thankful for Turkey. I'm thankful for friends, family, and I'm thankful for sense of direction. Expand on that a little bit. I need more. Um, well, I am not particularly fond of my current occupation and felt like I wanted to do something different. And I've found that direction and have taken steps in that direction. And I haven't done that ever. So it's something new. And that's that's my sense of direction. You're going in the right direction, Mike D. And for that, my guy, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for all my friends that have turned to family. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thank you. I'm thankful. I'm thank you. I'm thankful for podcasting. I'm thankful for this beautiful league that we get to cover. I'm thankful for everything, man. Tomorrow's I'm thankful Thanksgiving. For our listeners. I'm thankful for all of you out there listening to us. Absolutely. I'm thankful for them. They're without them, we're nothing. Without them, what are what are we doing this for? That's right. You know, that's right. So, yeah, tomorrow it's Thanksgiving. Obviously, what's your favorite meal? Well, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I today. Technically today, right? I mean, when we release this, it'll be today. We're releasing this oh, no, tonight. No, maybe not. Thanksgiving Eve. We're releasing okay. it. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? I'm pretty sure I asked you this last year. I forget your answer. Oh man, I really love all food. To be honest with you, like there's very few foods that I discriminate against. Um, but I really like mashed potatoes. Obviously, I the turkey. I'm not a huge fan of dry turkey. I can't imagine anybody is. But my girlfriend's stepdad makes turkey, and he injects it with like fat, and it's fried, and it's delicious. So, turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing. Really, those are like top three. You said mashed potatoes, and I'm thinking to myself, like I could have mashed potatoes any night of the week. I, I have that multiple times a month. Yeah. And I'm and I'm thinking to myself, what don't I have on a regular basis? And I think that my favorite Thanksgiving fixin' is green bean casserole. That really crusty, crusty top. Oh God, <clears> it's <throat> so good. It's good, but it's people are gonna get hate this, but it's overrated. I mean it's good. Don't get me wrong, I like to eat it, but I'm not like Jones and for it come Thanksgiving. It's going to be on my plate and it's going to be in my mouth, but it, it's just, you know, I mean, if you could get, if you could get rid of one, stopper. if you could get yams. rid of yams. one yams. Yams. yams, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Gar- just garbage. I don't think I've ever had them to be honest with you. And the fact that people call them candy yams, like it weirds me out. And I, as a kid growing up, like I didn't know what the hell they were and I've never eaten them and I never will. My dad loves can- <laughs> canned candy yams. Like, we have it every year at Thanksgiving. And, uh, I mean, he's the only one that eats it. Nobody else eats it. And I just, we're, just we're, not a fan. 
we're going down a, a weird alley right now, but we're talking about yams, <laughs> and I'm thinking about another food that like I won't ever eat because of the texture and just like the smell. Beets. All right, first of all, are beets like a Thanksgiving fixin'? Is that a side? Do you eat beets? Like I, I won't. Eat I don't think so. I think the okay. only person that eats beets is Dwight Schrute. He's a special human. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get back on track, Mike D. <clears throat> The first round of the 2021 MLS Cup playoffs has concluded. But before we break down all the matchups, let's visit some of the news from around the league. Bob Bradley has been appointed as the new head coach of Toronto FC. Chicago Fire have hired longtime MLS assistant Ezra Hendrickson as their new manager. Georgie Mihailovic, on the end of a career year, is headed to Serie A side Bologna. Bologna? Bologna? Whatever. Bologna. Something like that. He's going there on trial uh, to hopefully spark his European club and U.S. men's national team career. But let's take a look at the first round of the playoffs, Mike D. It took 123 minutes to find a winner at Subaru Park as the union closed the curtain on the Red Bull season with uh -huh. a, a Jacob Glesnes banger. Not Jacob, Jacob Glesnes banger. And that's all he scores. The Vanny Sartini show is over as Peter Vermees and Sporting Kansas City flip the script on the Whitecaps and send them packing in round one. New York City FC refused to lose at home and earn their spot in the Eastern Conference semis with a 2-0 win over the five strikes. Sebastian Blanco and the Portland Timbers got their first win of the year over Minnesota United FC, and they did it when it counts. Bye-bye, loons. Daryl DK scored in his fifth straight match, but it wasn't enough to get past Nashville SC, who in 2021 unbeaten at home thanks to a Hani Mukhtar brace. The last time the Sounders lost in the first round of the MLS Cup playoffs was 2011 to Real Salt Lake. History repeats itself. RSL squeaked by 6-5 in PKs after not registering a single shot in regulation. That's freaking Shiny. that's incredible. All right, so Shiny. there were there were no goals in regulation in that one, but there were some absolute beauties scored this week in the first round of MLS Cup playoffs. Mike D, what was your goal of the first round? I mean, you gotta go with Jacob Glesnes, right? I mean 123rd minute hits it kind of going away from his, his you know going the opposite direction dips over uh what the what's his name uh cornell right over his hands into the back of the net just showstopper absolute banger that's my goal of the week yeah david goss from extra time was actually there and he sat opposite side of the river end so he got to see it from behind jacob glasnass and he described it saying like there there was literally only a small window in which Glesnes could have hit that ball. And just the way that it dipped out of Cornell's reach was absolutely incredible. And I said earlier, he only scores bangers. Well, earlier this year, he scored a banger against from the run of play, I believe it was against Atlanta. And then last year, an MLS after dark late night game scored a banger against LAFC. Pretty sure he only has three MLS career goals. And this one is, um, it fits the script for what Jacob Glesnes does. Bangers only. Yeah, absolutely. I think he has five goals, though. I'm not sure. I think I saw somewhere that it was five. But who who's counting, right? Who's counting? Because all I all I remember is the bangers. I don't care about the other two. If he did score right. two, I don't care. Right. Right. But good for him. Good for the union. They go through. But what about you? What about, what was your goal the goal of the week? There's another banger. A guy that's done it in 2011. A guy that's done it in 2014. Graham Zussi, in the 58th minute, he hit a freaking rocket from about 30 yards out. Beautiful preparation touch with his right foot. Smashed it. Top right corner. It was an absolute worldie of a hit from Graham Zussi. 
And he, like I said, he hit it in the top right, upper 90 corner, 2014, top right corner, 2011, top right corner. This guy is no stranger to the top right corner, Mike D. This guy gets it done, buried it. Looked like Graham Zussi of old that used to play for the U.S. Men's National Team in the World Cups. Looked like he might get called up to the December camp, to be honest with you. Strike was absolutely unbelievable out of this freaking world. Great hit. My goal of the week, Graham Zussi. Yeah, it was a, it was fantastic. And you mentioned he looked like kind of vintage Graham Zussi. There was also another player that we're going to talk about here shortly that looked like a vintage version of themselves. And it's 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 just great to see that when you have players that have been around the league for as long as they've been around the league. And you see them return to kind of this vintage form of, of play. So that's off the grand series. He was a banger. That's what you need in the playoffs, man. You need big time players and you need guys that have been there and done that before. And that's exactly what Graham Zussi provides. He's a guy that's been there and done that for sporting Kansas city for a freaking decade. And for him to score yeah. that goal and to shut up Vanny Sartini like that. Go ahead. Graham. Mr. Bean Sartini. Mr. Bean get, Sartini. How much you think a gram of that Zussi costs, Mike D? What? <clears throat> All right. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> now it's time. We're going to talk about, you know, we talked about our goals of the week. Now we're going to talk about our segment. All the small things. Where we will pick a smaller moment or moments to highlight from the first round of the MLS Cup playoffs that got lost in the shuffle and needs more recognition. So, Blake, in these first games of the MLS Cup playoffs, what was your all the small things? Mm. CJ Sapong, man. On that second goal from Hani Mukhtar, he did everything right in the lead up to that goal. The strength in his hold-up play to link with the midfield was phenomenal. The composure to pull off the Cruyff and find Mukhtar quickly in transition. Mike D, that sent both of both you and I flying off of our seats. And honestly, that was special enough. But my small thing is the 40-yard sprint to occupy two Orlando City defenders. Mukhtar was 1v1 with Orlando City's left back. And at the same time that he decided to cut inside with his left foot, CJ made a diagonal run, forcing Johnson or Janssen to track him and Antonio Carlos to cut off the passing lane. What With that run, he vacated 10 yards of space for Mukhtar to throw a scissor and dribble uh, into the 18 before scoring the game winner. So CJ's off-ball movement and a play full of highlights is my all the small things this week. It's, it's incredible that such a small thing – that diagonal run is so dangerous. I mean, just from the beginning of the play, I mean, he checks back. CJ checks back into, you know, almost the midfield and receives that ball turns. And then, you know, the Cruyff and, and the whole play going up. And then that, that that last that last icing on the cake there, that diagonal run where he takes Janssen. Janssen's got to make a decision at that point, you know, right? Does he go or does he stay? And it's almost like he, when you watch the replay, you see Janssen immediately obviously steps because it's like muscle reaction to go with the runner. But as he steps, you almost – and Honey Mukhtar cuts in, you can see that kind of – and forgive my language, that oh shit moment when he's like, oh no, I'm I'm off off step now. He's going to beat me. And and there it goes, and he scores the goal. Absolutely fantastic. CJ Spong was a great all game. Um, and I think that he maybe doesn't get as much recognition as he deserves. But, hey, like you said, big-time players making big-time plays in the playoffs. I, I think I threw out yesterday <clears> – <throat> After that play happened, I'm pretty sure we FaceTimed, and I said that CJ, believe, has 12 goals on the season. And that threw you for a loop because you don't yeah, realize exactly. that unless you really watch Nashville play. It's all Hani Mukhtar. That's all you hear about Nashville and how they don't lose at home and all they do is tie. But CJ Sapong has quietly had, I think, the second best 
year, goal scoring year from any American in 2021. Yeah. And that highlight alone just kind of encapsulates everything that he does well. Very underrated player, hold up play phenomenal. And I haven't seen CJ Sapong put on a display of skill the way he did with that Cruyff in a really, really long time. And so, like I said, that whole play was full of highlights. And for me to pick out that one moment where he made a 10-yard sprint to the near stick and made the defenders make a choice. And you, you called it the oh shit moment, but as much as I credit CJ Sapong, I also say that Janssen Antonio Carlos could have defended that a lot better. Janssen could have communicated with Antonio Carlos and just passed him off. You don't need yeah. Janssen following the run and Antonio Carlos cutting off the passing lane. You, you don't need that. Just yeah. pass the guy on and talk to him. But that run gave Mukhtar the space to get into the box and score the worm burner goal, uh, which was the, the game winner. So it, it was phenomenal. CJ, not just that moment, but CJ Sapong. We'll talk about it later. CJ Sapong had a phenomenal night for Nashville. What yeah. was your what was your small thing, Mike T? I kind of struggled to pick, but <clears throat> excuse me. What I settled on was was Darren Espria um, from Portland. His hold up play, um, just something that was constantly happening all game. They were finding him up top. He was checking back, receiving the ball with a defender on his back almost every single time and holding up the play, waiting for one of his teammates to make a run or, or form some sort of triangle or whatever it was, find an angle, and then he's finding that player and then immediately making a run in to create an attack. It happened so often and is such a small detail of kind of what happens in the run of play that he does, he deserves for me the all, my all the small things. Um it, it, it's an integral part of, of his role, and he did it really well in the game. Yeah, I agree. I think about the 60th minute in that game, well, even not 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 even the 60th minute, I think late in the, in the first half against Minnesota United, Portland flipped a switch and really started to apply pressure late in that first half. And, you know, they got that, that goal from Mabiala, and they came out and they scored two goals before the 70th minute in the second. And a lot of that had to do with the pressure from Portland and Dyrone Espria really being an outlet on the counter, especially when Portland took the lead. Minnesota United had to push it. Portland sat in a little bit and Dyrone was kind of the outlet and the guy that was leading the attack. And again, you know, us being a couple guys from the East, there's a lot of teams that we don't get to watch enough of throughout the year. So once we get to the playoffs, it's really eye-opening. You know, we hear that yeah. and we hear that Dyrone Espria is Mr. October. And we saw him throw that bike against, I think it was Minnesota, I believe. I, I don't know. A couple, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. The, the bike a couple weeks ago, like we see those highlights, but then you watch that game, you're really focusing on the playoffs and you watch him play and, Sebastian Blanco stood out in that game, obviously because of the brace, but Dyrone Espria was explosive for that team. Yeah, something that interesting too that just popped in my head when you said that Sebastian Blanco stood out because of the brace. I believe on the broadcast they were talking about there's never been a Portland player to score a hat trick, mm-hmm. and in that and maybe we save this for for when we go. But I thought it was funny in the in the later moments of that game there was a free kick that was given for Portland right outside the 18 and Sebastian was on two and I can't remember who took it, but I was like, Oh yeah, this is definitely 
you know, Blanco's free kick to take. This might be the third. This might be the first ever hat trick scored by a Portland player. And then I can't remember who took it, but somebody else took it. And I was shocked, shocked that he didn't take it. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Well, cool. Those are our goals of the week. Those were all the small things. We hope you guys enjoy those. But listeners, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, At A Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we'll be breaking down all the action from the first round of the 2021 Audi MLS Cup playoffs. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a time, Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild Season 3, Episode 26. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Mike D, we talked about the Jacob Klesnitz banger that sent the New York Red Bulls home. But let's just talk about the game in general. Your thoughts, any kind of tactical things that you noticed, facts. What were your thoughts on that game? It was hard to watch. It was hard to watch. It was a long – that game felt like it went on for four years. Let me, really let, me, let, me, let me interrupt here. With you saying it's hard to watch, here's a quote from Jim Curtin directly after the game. You saw a lot of turnovers, mistakes, second balls, fighting, head balls, clearances, collisions, yellow cards. It was chaos. Definitely set soccer back probably 10 years in terms of <laughs> if you broke down the actual style of play. End quote yeah. from Jim Curtin. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Um, it, it was obviously New York Red Bulls coming out and doing what New York Red Bulls do. They pressed the hell out of Philadelphia early, and Philadelphia, from what it looked like, couldn't handle the pressure. They were coughing up balls left and right. They couldn't get a rhythm. That was probably what New York wanted to do anyway. I mean, they obviously try to suffocate everybody that they play, but Philly had a really hard time getting into any sort of rhythm because New York just didn't let off the gas with their press and their counter press. And that was really kind of the sum of the first half. Um, I mean, you saw Kyle Duncan as a beast, played really well throughout, um, but not a whole lot going on there in, in the first half. I mean, a couple things here and there, uh, but 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 nothing really that separated the two, the two teams. It was just New York Red Bulls pressing the hell out of Philadelphia and Philadelphia kind of missing a few opportunities early. Um, and that, that was the first half for me. Uh, second half was uh, kind of more of the same, but they were – Philadelphia started to settle in a little bit more. Um, you see them get a little bit more opportunities, but there was uh, a moment in the, I, th- I was watching the, hi- so we watched the game and then I watched the highlights again, just to kind of take some notes. And in the highlights, there's, there's a highlight from the, the, the first couple minutes of the game where uh, Al, Al, Alvis Powell, Alvin Powell, right? Alvis they're Powell. Al- Alvis right Powell, back. they're at the right back. 
gets the opportunity right early in the game for for Philadelphia. And then it jumps from that early moment to the 82nd minute when Casper Shabilko receives the ball on a silver platter on the six-yard line from Sergio Santos, and he skies it over the net. I mean, that's what, that's kind of the summation of this game is like there was nothing to highlight. So second half was more of the same. Sergio Santos serves a, you know, silver platter ball to Casper Shabilko. He should have put it, he should have buried it. They should have won in, in regular time. Um, but it was, it was just, he, 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 he didn't put it away. He skied it. And then extra time, you know, Corey Burke provided a, a much needed spark off the bench. Philly had even more dangerous opportunities with Corey Burke slotted in Sergio Santos on the six yard box right there in front of Carlos Coronel. And he kicks it right to him. I mean, right at his hands. He's got no defenders on right or left. I mean, slot it right, slot it left. You know, obviously it's diff- more difficult than I'm making it seem. But I mean, Philadelphia could have won this game earlier than, you know, they didn't. They, they didn't have to rely on on Jacob Glessness to put the team on his back and score that banger. They could have put this game away earlier than that. That banger was the latest goal ever scored in any MLS game ever yeah. Yeah. in the 123rd minute. Philly won the XG battle. Expected goals battle, but when I talk about Philadelphia, I think we should probably call it X dupe. The expected dupes that they score, uh-huh. uh, they they won the X dupe battle, two point zero six to point nine one. Like you said, they missed those three chances: Casper, Sergio Santos, and Corey Burke, who missed late in stoppage time as well, thanks to Andrew Gutman making a lunging tackle and getting a foot on that ball. Yeah. So th- they missed their opportunities late in the second half. They started to get more, but we saw a tactical switch in about the 60th minute when they took out Paxson Aronson for Sergio Santos to go to the diamond in the midfield and have two guys up top rather than just running with Casper Shabelko up top and running the Christmas tree 4-3-2-1. So they made that tactical switch, and we did see them get more offensive opportunities, and they looked more comfortable playing in that system. With that being said, they were missing a couple of their guys. They're missing the guy that would usually play at the top of the diamond or maybe one of the eights, the more attacking eight, Jamiro Montero. Happy right. belated birthday, Jamiro. It was his birthday yesterday or two days ago. And they were get also – Get him on the pod. Get him on the pod. Get Jamiro yeah. on the pod. Shout out Jamiro. <laughs> they also were missing Olivier Mbizo. They're right back. That's why Alvis Powell stepped in. So that's why we saw Pax and Aronson start at the 10 for Jamiro and Alvis Powell start for Mbizo. They desperately, I think, need – they really need Jamiro Montero back. Alvis Powell did a pretty good job at right back. He did his job. He didn't do anything crazy. He filled in for Olivier Mbizo uh, as well as he could. To speak on how ugly that game was, there was a stat that came out. Fewest attempted passes in the first half between two teams this season. 340 combined passes in the first half. Fewest attempted this entire season that says a lot about the game. Like there, there wasn't a lot of, there, there wasn't a lot of beautiful play happening whatsoever, but Mike D there's just talked about a little bit of tactics. The guy is missing, but there's a couple narratives to this game. Gerhard Stuber took over for the New York Red Bulls just over a year ago at this point, when they played this game, he was at 364 days as the manager. His first game managing for the Red Bulls was a, loss in the first round of MLS Cup playoffs to the Columbus Crew. We fast forward to this year, this past game against Philadelphia Union. He's now 0-2 at 
as a New York Red Bulls coach in the MLS Cup playoffs. So bad start for uh, playoff life for Gerhard Struber, but we've seen slight improvement there. But I think the bigger narrative here is this could be the last time we see Caden Clark and Kyle Duncan for the New York Red Bulls. Yeah, uh, you're probably right. Somebody last time, this is going to be the last time we see a lot of players. Yeah. I mean, you just talked about Georgie Mihailovic leaving, Kyle Duncan, um, Caden Clark. There's probably going to be others that I can't think of off the top of my head right now, but it's been a big year for some young guys. Yeah, Caden Clark, for those that are listening, is heading to Red Bull Leipzig under Jesse Marsh. He's oh, going. Chris Mueller, too. He's going. We'll talk about Chris Mueller later when we talk about Orlando. I got, I had, I think I have a few things to say about Chris Mueller. Uh, but Caden Clark is heading over to play, well, at least a trial under Jesse Marsh. He's going over in January. I think he has like a two-week training stint with them. He's technically signed with them, but there's a really good chance that he's probably going to get loaned out. There's a chance he could get loaned back to New York Red Bulls mm. to continue to get minutes because it was weird this year. He had his apodectomy surgery, and he missed a lot of time. And seemed like late in the year that Gerhard Struber wasn't starting him. And like we saw in the playoff game, he didn't come in until later in the match as a substitute. Mm-hmm. And he's, and really he's just a press machine. We don't see a lot of the technical skill that you want to see in that ugly system, that demolition derby system that Gerhard Struber deploys for the New York Red Bulls. But Kyle Duncan, another guy that's rumored to go over to Europe for me in that game, there was a matchup that stood out to me. And like, I saw it in the first five minutes. I'm like, First of all, I knew Kyle Duncan had interest. I knew Kai Wagner, Kai Wagner had interest. And those two guys going at each other, man, that was so much fun. Both of those guys have so much quality on both sides of the ball. Kyle Duncan was cooking. He looked like he was in an and one mixtape playing <laughs> playing at Subaru Park, running up and down that right side of the pitch. And Kai Wagner is just so sound in everything that he does. His tackling, his distribution, his crossing, everything. Both of those guys are phenomenal players, and that was one of my favorite matchups of, of, of the game. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. Uh, yeah, everything you said is accurate. I think that we kind of overlooked a little bit of something, too, which you talked about um, in the changes to the lineup, which is Paxton Aronson. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, I mean, in the first half, he was their go-to guy. I mean, he yep. not maybe not their go-to guy, but he was the guy that was most involved in the offense. Um for a kid who's 18 years old to come in and start to come in and start um, in the MLS Cup playoffs for a team like Philadelphia, that's huge to, to come out and play as well as I thought that he played. So hats off to him as well. Yeah, the kid's got some sauce, man. Yeah. You know, it's it's pedigree, bro. It's pedigree. Yeah, pedigree. Brandon's, Brandon's got it. You know, he's over in Europe now, so now it's – it's Paxson's turn. He's he is the new Medford Messi. But mm. but the only other the only other thought that I have from this game, like it was really hard to pull any kind of I felt like I got dumber watching this game just because it looked like <laughs> it, it looked like a car crash. It looked like there was an ice storm in Ohio and people were driving on the highway and one person crashes and then it's just a domino effect. It's what it looked like. It looked like a car crash. Yeah. But the the only other thing that I thought of in this game. Is I talked about how Caden Clark may not be benefiting from Gerhard Struber's pressing system and how even though they had majority possession in this match, it's not beautiful. It's it's not the beautiful game. There's a couple other guys that play for the New York Red Bulls that I watch, and I think that, man, I wonder what they would look like 
on another freaking team, <clears throat> whether it be an MLS or another league. And that's Christian Caceres and, and Drew Yearwood. I think they're two extremely technical players, both play in the midfield. There's a chance that Christian Caceres also probably leaves before next season for the New York Red Bulls. But those two guys really stood out to me. Like they're, they're the real deal. And the Red Bulls have a lot of, not, not just those guys. There's other guys on the Red Bulls that are really technical, good players that in this system, we're just not seeing the best of them. Mm-hmm. But I digress with that. It will, I'm sure next year as Drew Yearwood enters year two for New York Red Bulls, we'll continue to talk about him because I've compared him to the likes of Darlington Nagby because of just some of the way that he controls his body when he's on the ball and defending the ball and things like that. But we'll talk about that later. But earlier this season, we had MVP candidate, possible comeback player of the year, even though he didn't win it. Daniel Shallowy on the show for Sporting Kansas City against Vancouver Whitecaps. He had a brace of assists. One was a hockey assist. One was a primary. But Sporting Kansas City dominated the Vancouver Whitecaps, beat them 3-1 to one at home in Kansas City. Fanny Sartini came out after they clinched the playoffs on decision day, and he was told that they were playing Sporting Kansas City, and he came out and said, no, 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 we will beat Sporting Kansas City. That's different. After the 3-1 win, you know what Peter Vermees said? You know what Peter Vermees said? I, I do, yeah, but I, what about our listeners? Listeners, do you know what he said? Thanks for the motivation. Happy birthday, Peter. It was also Peter Vermees' birthday. Didn't, I think didn't, yesterday. Didn't, didn't he say something along the lines of, we like to do our talking on the field? Something like that, but the end line of the entire quote was, thanks for the motivation. And that's all that's all it took for a sporting Kansas City team. Mike T, what did you think of the game? Uh this one just comes down to Zeus. He's a beast. I mean, you talked about it earlier. Zeus was a vintage form of himself. He started the first goal. He helped end the first goal. And then he scored a banger himself. And all and both and, and all of that, there was there was two players that were integral. Zeusy and Charlie. The first one, obviously, is is the turnover where, where Zussi picks up the ball. Then you have Shallowy on the left-hand side. Big switch, right? And then big switch again to Zussi from Shallowy. And then Zussi then finds um, Kyrie Shelton, who gets enough of a touch on it back stick to, to put away the first goal. And then the second one, obviously, big switch from Zussi to Shallowy. Shallowy back to Zussi. And then that's when that banger came into play there. So um, you saw initial thoughts on the, on the beginning of this game was – Whitecaps can play a little bit of possession, and I wasn't expecting that against Sporting Kansas City. So they were playing, you know, Christian Dahomey is a great player, um, and I thought the Whitecaps were were doing well against a a very strong Sporting Kansas City team. Um, But in the end, once that that first goal happened, um, you start to see this this kind of shift in momentum. Sporting Kansas is, is picking up speed a little bit more. And ultimately, they, what the Whitecaps just they, they couldn't hang. Sporting Kansas City just they had that sauce. They had that sauce, baby. That, they did. They had the sauce. They did. They did. And you talk about that first goal that Kyrie Shelton scored. It was all set up by a gram of that Zussi. You know what I'm saying? That that whole play by Graham Zussi could have been all the small things. Because how did the play start? It was going to be my all the small things, but I decided not to go with it. How, but anyway. The, the play started by him 
reading and anticipating a pass, stepping in front of the guy that he was marking, winning the ball, taking one freaking punch and smacking it 60 yards on a rope to Daniel Shallowy. And just like C.J. Sapong continuing his run, Graham Zussi did the hard work and continued his run. I don't know if like they worked on this at practice, but this looked like an extended field three-man weave the way that they ran this thing. Mm-hmm. And Graham Zussi got the ball back, and you know the run was another small thing, just doing the work. But then with one deft touch, I believe he was like sliding or diving to even get the touch back to Kyrie Sheldon. For him to make that effort to dive and lunge at that ball – and to put the put the English on that ball to get it to Kyrie Sheldon right where he needed it, like <laughs> Graham Graham Zusi, I said it to you yesterday. Graham Zusi was in his bag in that match, like that yeah, was crazy. He had some, he had some of the that's that MJ's special water. Yeah, that was crazy. And so entering the game, all you all, all we heard about was you know, Ryan Gauld and Brian White and Christian Dahomey for the Vancouver Whitecaps and how they like to concede pressure and they're so dangerous on the counterattack. Well, the I said at the beginning of the podcast, the script was the script was flipped on the Whitecaps on on Vanny Sartini by Peter Vermees. Vancouver dominated possession in this match and dominated accurate passes. Possession was 63 to 37. Accurate passes 415 to 206. Sporting Kansas mm. City are second in the regular season for average possession per game with 54.5%. And Vancouver are second in possession with 46.5%. So complete opposites of historically what both of those teams do throughout the season. And so Peter Vermees just said, you know what? They can counter, but can they actually possess? And yeah, they can possess. They outpossess a 63-37, but, but can they do it with the purpose? Because they didn't score a goal from open play. They scored a goal from a PK from a dumb handball from Luis yeah. Martin, you know, in, in the box. And what made it work even better on the counterattack. So that was just that wrinkle that they basically just said that we're going to concede. But with them conceding pressure, with them conceding possession, and Vancouver playing a back five with two really, really high fullbacks. That only left three guys on the back line with Daniel Shalley playing high. Graham Zussi playing that big ball to him forces one of the center backs, one of the three center backs to slide out. And now that takes a, that takes a center back out of position. And that's where Vancouver loses that tactical battle right there. Automatically mm-hmm. you lose a center back having to guard, having to defend one-on-one against MVP candidate against Daniel Shalley, having him slide out of position to defend there. That's where Sporting Kansas City absorbing the pressure and playing on the counter. That's where they really exploited the Vancouver Whitecaps. And it, it was really fun to see. It's not something that we ever see from Sporting yeah. Kansas City. Traditionally, right. you see them just dominate possession. Matt Doyle said it best. You see them dominate possession, dictate where the game is played and at which the pace of the game is played. And this match, they just sat back, let Vancouver possess the ball, kept the game in front of them. And then when the opportunity presented themselves, play the big ball and go. Yep. All right, let's keep it moving. New York City. Keep it moving. F- New York City FC versus Atlanta United. New York City FC off two corner kicks that looked like they came straight off the training pitch. Beat the five stripes 2-0 at home at Yankee Stadium. 
where they never lose. Golden boot winner Tati Castellano scores in the 49th minute on a goal that looked just like Miguel Almiron's goal from 2018 in Yankee Stadium. Collins scores in the 53rd minute, 2-0, New York City FC. They close it out. What would you think of that game? New York, New York City FC is the better New York team because they can press just as well as New York Red Bulls, but they have that quality in the attack and the quality in the players in their attack to, to put away goals. We talked about Graham Zussi being vintage Graham Zussi in the game against the Whitecaps. Well, Maxi was vintage Maxi in this game. He got a little bit of rest, and the guy was all over the place, involved in both the goals, first one off the corner kick, second one off the corner kick, but he um, took a shot, and it, it was deflected off the post that fell right to Callens. And he just had a, a phenomenal game. Um, New York City FC is the better of the two New York teams because they are they have that same ability to press like the Red Bulls, but they have that quality in the final third. <clears throat> but I think overall, um, even though they did press, uh, Atlanta did a good job of being able to to withstand that press and get out of it at some moments. Um, didn't work every single time. But there wasn't a whole lot of chances in um, the first half. Um, the, th- the Around the 37th minute is when New York City started to kind of separate themselves. Uh, there was like a fluster or a cluster of, of chances going into the half. And then when the second half hit is kind of when you saw New York City just really take over. So um, I thought it was a really good game by, by New York City. And I think that Barco dribbles too much. I think um, Brad Guzan did everything that he could do to to help save Atlanta, but with the press and and there was when I talk about chances, Atlanta didn't have a whole lot of chances, but they had one chance that I thought would have been huge, and it was in the 61st minute when Brad Guzan plays a beautiful ball out to the left hand side to um, to Moreno. And he's dribbling down the left-hand side. As soon as he receives it, he get, he takes a couple touches, and you see Joseph Martinez there, wide open. The guy's butt naked, butt naked. On fresh the, out the shower, right? Fresh out the shower, butt naked. Moreno takes three touches or something like that. When, and they show the angle when he receives the ball. If he would have played it as soon as he took his first touch into space. Joseph Martinez is unmarked. He has more time to concentrate on finishing the goal, and they probably score a goal there. But instead, he waits, takes an extra two touches. That space closes down, and even though Joseph gets a, a quality shot off, he doesn't put it away. And, I mean, when you don't have chances like that, you have to make those those chances count, and that was a huge mistake there for, for Atlanta. But um, I just thought New York City was the better team in this one. Speaking of that highlight that you just brought up, Moreno almost waited for Joseph Martinez to be offside. I I watched it live and I'm like, okay, play it, play it, play it, play it, play it. Nothing. And I watch it again on replay and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Atlanta's got yeah. four, four attackers, Barco, Araujo, Moreno, and Martinez that take up the majority of the salary cap of that team. They have the I think on DPs, they spend the fourth most in the league. Mm-hmm. And they're just not seeing that production. And just something that small, I'm not playing the ball early. I'm not playing the ball on time into space. Because not only did he wait to play the ball, Moreno, he didn't play it where Joseph Martinez needed the ball. And then when Joseph Martinez got the ball, his first touch was not, it was just, it wasn't good enough. 
it right. wasn't good enough to, to get the shot off. But yeah. speaking of that highlight and specific, that did bother me because, like you just said, in a game where you don't have a lot of chances and you get a quality chance like that, you got to take it. You really yeah, do. Absolutely. Especially against a New York City FC team that doesn't lose at home and that is that is quality. But the one thing that I want to touch on, Mike D, I'm pretty sure you know what I'm going to talk about right now, is mm-hmm. the New York City FC press and how Atlanta initially broke it but then failed to get past that second line of pressure and really get out. So I have a quote from Ronnie Dyla just about the New York City FC pressure in general. He said, the intensity we had in our pressure was unbelievable. They almost didn't create anything, and we attacked them over and over again in their half. So I want to focus on that back half, okay? We attacked them over and over again in their half. For Atlanta United, you can dictate whether or not that's true. You can dictate whether or not they can attack you again by playing the ball into space and exploiting space. New York City FC pressed them hard as hell. And Atlanta United, they invited some of the pressure. They were comfortable passing the ball out of the back. And there were moments in that game, there was a highlight I posted specifically on Twitter, Instagram, in like the fourth or fifth minute, where they literally had the ball on their own defensive end line, passed it out with one, two touches. And then instead of making the big switch to George Bello, they played it into pressure to Ezekiel Barco, and it was a turnover, and they went straight back down their throats. And that one example could have been found multiple other times throughout Mm -hmm. that game where Atlanta United was very composed under the pressure, invited it, was composed, got out of that initial line, beat the first three-man press beat Castellanos, Morales, and whoever else was pressing, they beat those guys with one two-touch passing, and then all they had to do was hit the big ball, switch it. There's acres of space. And in that highlight I'm speaking about in particular, George Bello had literally acres of space. Mm-hmm. And you, you could find that all throughout the game. And yeah. New York City FC attacked them a time and time again in their defensive half because Atlanta allowed them to and they didn't play Mm -hmm. tactically smart and play short, short, long, beat the initial press, and then get the hell out of town. Mm -hmm. You got to go. You got to get out of there. So that was was the one big tactical takeaway that I took from the game. And both teams played the same exact formation as well. Both teams played a 4-2-3-1. The midfield was crowded as hell. There was literally no space in the midfield. And there was a a lot of dribbling, a lot of – Marcelino Moreno and Ezekiel Barco trying to dribble through the midfield where there was no space. A lot of times both of those guys picked up the ball on the left side of the pitch. And when both of those get the ball, when both of those guys get the ball on the left side of the pitch, they're going to take the ball with their right foot and dribble to the, to the center of the field. And multiple times they were both caught in possession, caught on the dribble, dispossessed in New York city FC. We're going the other way too much dribbling, too much standing around from Atlanta yeah, United. Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. Not- just Joseph looked like he didn't want to be there. Looked like a statue. Joseph only yeah. had 13 touches in the first half. He was the fewest of anyone. And honestly, the majority of his touches were him coming back into the midfield to just get a touch, literally, just to get a touch yeah. and, and then move off of that. But there was minimal options offensively for Atlanta United, which could have caused more of the dribbling from Barco Moreno. But Barco, speaking of him, most dribbles in the match with 11, most duels won 18. Okay, those sound great. But that's what happens when every time you get the ball, you're just dribbling. He had six yeah. turnovers as well. Uh, you have to have the ball work for you. And that comes with, you know, passing and moving. And I just said there wasn't a lot of movement. So there's a lot of things that 
led to the demise of Atlanta United in this game. Uh, too many individuals, not enough team. Mentality didn't look strong. Did it look like a team that was going to come in and win? Pineda, the head coach, going into this game, he came in, turned the team around, really, 7-3-3 three, and three in the back half of the season. And he's got the pedigree. He coached at Seattle, so he knows what it takes to win with the, with the Sounders. But he was just overmatched. He's – the Barco's probably going to be gone. There's there's some things that they got to figure out over there in Atlanta. But props to New York City FC. They came out. They implemented their game plan. They press hard as could be. They press almost more than any team in the league and more efficiently than any team in the league. And they and they did it against Atlanta. And they they sent them home packing. Man. And uh, yeah, good good for Atlanta. Not good, good for Atlanta. Atlanta. <laughs> good for, for new york, york good, good for new york city fc man all right so the next game portland <clears throat> minnesota united fc match finished 3-1 portland portland goals scored by mabiala and a brace from sebastian blanco you talked about earlier no timbers player has ever scored a hat trick and he had the opportunity to do so but he didn't get to take the free kick minnesota united fc goal from fragapane who also should have had a red card in that game but uh Pro referees and VAR were uh, just not up to up to standards that game. Mike T, what do you think of Portland, Minnesota United FC? I thought Minnesota shot themselves in the foot. Uh, I thought they looked really good in the first half. They they were possessing the ball really well. They were moving the ball with a purpose. One of the notes that <clears throat> excuse me, one of the notes that I took while watching the first half was the strongest thing that Minnesota did. Their ability was the ability to, to play triangles. They were ha- they had triangles all over the field in possession, and I thought they did a really great job of, of moving the ball with purpose from side to side, getting forward, playing the ball quickly. Um, but their job really was obviously to find Reynoso, and they did that on that first goal. Obviously, you give Reynoso the space, he's going to find that pass that's going to create a dangerous opportunity. And when he found load and then Metnair made that overlapping run and to, to find Fragapane, that's exactly what Portland needed to shut down and they didn't. But as soon as that goal happened, there was a shift. You, you saw Portland start to get more guys around Reynoso quickly, more quickly when he was getting the ball or when he was getting into a space where it was looking like it was going to be dangerous. Um, so I think after that kind of punch in the face, there was really – a, a tactical adjustment in defense, de- at least defensive pressure around Reynoso, which kind of they needed to do to disrupt the play, and they did that. And then in the second half, it was just Blanco time. You know, they come out. or He goes down at the at the end of the first half with, with what looks like something that's going to pull him out of the game and then comes back after getting deep tissue massage for 15 minutes or shots or spray or whatever it was and scores in the in the first uh, first couple minutes or first minute of, of the of the second half on a goal that was very much like Glesnes where he's having to run across the ball and kick it from you know kick it to the opposite side um, away from his body so I think the second half was just all Portland um, after after that goal there was really just kind of a drop the combination of the goal and the defense around Reynoso um, Reynoso getting frustrated that kind of trickling into other players you just see this this drop in attitude from Minnesota that was completely kind of a, a 180 from the first half, and then I mean you saw it was it was very apparent in there in um, Blanco's second goal when Reynoso loses the ball 
and th- the, he just kind of drops his head and gets frustrated, and he doesn't provide any defensive support. Blanco, or, or it was, uh, I think it was Claudio Bravo, who who had intercepted that ball, or, or Eric Val- Val- uh, Valentin. Or, uh, Van Rankin probably intercepted Van, Van Rankin is what I'm thinking yeah. of. Um, and, and he dribbles. He literally picks up the ball from Reynoso, dribbles, 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 all the way up to, like, right in front of their 18 with no pressure, no pressure on him. And Blanco's literally just, like, right there with him. And he just gives them the ball, and Blanco's not not getting stepped to. And Blanco's like, well, well nobody's going to step to me. I'm going to let it fly. And scores an absolute golasso there. So um, Minnesota did did well early, and then just they didn't they didn't keep it up. And when Reynoso was not able to create anything, that kind of just depleted the energy in the team is what I thought. Yeah, I just spoke about mentality of Atlanta United and how I didn't think that they came out and looked like a team that was together and wanted to win and wanted to push to make it to the conference semifinals in their in their conference. And I think I could say the same thing about Minnesota United FC, especially after Mabiala scored that goal right before halftime. It really took the air out of the sails of Minnesota United FC. And after Portland made that adjustment to get around Reynoso some more, it just frustrated him. It frustrated the hell out of him. And Reynoso is the kind of guy that if you can shut him down, he's going to turn into a head case. It's yeah. it, it's a mind game with him, and they and they shut him down. And to me, early in the season, Mike D, you probably remember me the first couple podcasts of the year. Probably first two months of podcasting for this season was a winless Minnesota United FC. They were winless through eight matches and didn't get a win until I believe June 23rd against Austin FC. Yeah, they it was did. before Fragapane and Hunu came over, I'm pretty yep. sure. Until those guys came over. And yeah, Fragapane scored the goal in this Portland match, but they didn't look like they were game changers in this mm-hmm. match. Minnesota's another team that we don't get to watch on a weekly basis. And so we get to watch them, you know, front and center playoff time and Fragapane and Hanu didn't look like they were going to make a difference. Minnesota United FC looked like a team that heavily ran through Emmanuel Reynoso. Yeah. Just talked about Barco kind of playing hero ball and being the guy that was trying to dribble through everybody and do it all himself. Reynoso is kind of similar. There was a instance in the second half, I believe I'm doing a lot of comparisons to Atlanta right now because Barco and Reynoso, just what they try to do for their teams it's very similar, but Reynoso had the ball on the right side of the pitch and there were two Minnesota United FC attackers literally standing on the touchline on the right touchline, not moving for him, standing, watching Reynoso. I don't know if they're expecting him to do everything or, or what the case may be, but Minnesota United FC were out of this game after they scored their opening goal. Opening goal was great. I loved the work from Alonzo to play the line breaking progressive pass to Reynoso on the half turn to quickly find Lode, who dribbles inside and finds the overlap of Metnair, who then finds Fragapane back post. Like, that's all great and whatnot, but you have to be able to sustain that kind of pressure and you have to be able to play that way throughout the entire match. And Portland adjusted. Portland got around Reynoso. Portland got their lead. They really stole the momentum at the end of that first half with the Mabiala goal. Came out, I believe, in the 46th minute with the first Blanco goal. And then after that, they have the lead. They kind of sit in. Really good strategy, really good tactics by uh, Gio Savarese there sitting in. And then at that point, like we talked about earlier, with Dairon Espria 
he's kind of the catalyst of this team. He's the he's the point man. He's going to get the ball and he's going to trigger the attack. Portland mm-hmm. sit in, sit in, concede the pressure, concede the possession, win the ball back, find Dyrone Spria, go on the counterattack. And that's right. what Portland did. And Portland, God, I was stupid to pick against Portland. And Portland is a Portland's a Same. playoff team. They're a well-coached team. They have their veterans. They have a lot of role players. They're a really freaking good team. And it was a shame of me to underestimate them just because Minnesota United FC had already beat them two times this year. Mm-hmm. And Portland was Portland dominated the game after Minnesota United FC scored that that first goal. Yeah. Fair. You haven't you have any other thoughts on that one, Mike D? No, no. All right. Nashville SC Orlando happened last night. It's fresh in our minds. Nashville wins 3-1 against Orlando. They had played three times earlier this season, all resulting in a tie, which Nashville's just notorious for. Nashville unbeaten at home this year. They played at home. DK scored in his fifth straight game. Just some facts for you. Mike D, what would you think of the game? So this is not my information, but this is something that I saw, and I can't remember who I saw it from, so forgive me for not crediting the source, but I'm crediting the source even though I don't know who it is. Nashville's conceded... <clears throat> Hold on, let me start over. They conceded first again in the 14th minute off a corner. Obviously, like you said, by by Daryl DK. 17 times this season they've conceded first. And 14 of those have been from set pieces. So, yes, Nashville won. Nashville came from behind. Nashville did what Nashville always does, and they're resilient. And they just dogs when they work. But Nashville's got to be better on set piece defense. I mean, they're a great defensive team. They're a great defensive unit. You know, they've got great defensive players. Walker Zimmerman is a beast. They've, they've got a great, a great defensive unit, but they got to be better on set pieces. I mean, it it just, it has to be, but um, after the deflection goal um, by, by Carlos, you know, Mukhtar shot that, that deflected off Carlos, um, you see Nashville start to get into a rhythm. It kind of was, yeah, okay, well, Daryl DK scored early, but – and that almost, you know, you'd think would take the wind out of their sails, but that goal by Hani Mukhtar just reinflated the team and just kind of got them back on their feet. Um, I really thought that Mukhtar and, and CJ Sapong and, and Dax McCarty and, I mean, really all all Nashville, they, they all played really well. Um, it took a little bit for them to get into it, but once they they got that that spark, it was just up it, it, it was just up from there. Um, CJ Zapong, Dax McCarty, Walker Zimmerman, um, Godoy, just just all around great performances from all of them. I thought, obviously, aside from from the defense on on the set piece, but I, I didn't really. I don't really have much else to say. I mean, I thought Junior Junior Urso was really integral in in mm. Orlando's midfield. God, um, hold on, Mike D. Let me stop you real quick, man. I, I I sent this tweet out last night. I was watching Junior Urso, and he was one of the bright spots I saw on Orlando City's team last night. And we're a podcast that that I think prides ourselves on spotting the small things that a lot of people don't look for, whether it's work rate or small runs to create space or whatever it may be, but. Junior Urso sprints to literally every spot that he wants the ball. And he he releases the ball and he immediately sprints into space. And I love 
love that work from Junior Urso, doing the early work, getting to his spot early. I watched him last night, and I was like, yeah, this, this is a guy that knows how to play in the midfield. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was, yeah, he was an integral part for them. And Orlando's not a, a, another team that I watch often, but I don't remember when I have watched Orlando noticing Urso being as integral in the midfield. I mean, Pereira is uh, is kind of their guy. Um, and obviously, Nani didn't play until late in the game, and he's usually, I mean, he's all over the field anyway. But Urso was, a like you said, a standout player for me. Uh, Chris Mueller was, was kind of a ghost. Really not much to, to, to comment on from him. Um, I didn't think that Orlando really brought it to this game. I mean, it was – I was more focused on Nashville. They just they, – they did more. They, they wanted it more. Um, CJ Japong doing the work to get back and hold up play and then turn around and, and attack and create a chance or chances. Um, Hani Mukhtar, I, I was watching Hani Mukhtar, and I took a note about this. He's, he's constantly moving. He is constantly moving, so much so that, like, he's always got a couple yards of space from him and the defender that's trying to mark him. And obviously, everybody's already talked about it, but, you know, Hani Mukhtar kind of took him a little while to, to get up to speed. But he's he's phenomenal right now, and watching him play is, is exhausting <laughs> because he constantly is moving, looking for that space, looking to find the game, you know, and... I can only imagine the defenders that have to mark him because keeping up with that is is got to be difficult. But hats off to Nashville. Um, I think Nashville is a better team than people give them credit for. Um, and yeah, that's what I have to say about that. I think that they're uh, they, they're gonna I think they're gonna do some some damage here in the playoffs. Yeah, they have Philly next. Both teams play similar ish styles should be a really really good game game's going to be played at subaru park but speaking of honey mukhtar i have been looking at like his heat maps and just his stats and just and after watching him play again last night he affects the game from everywhere on the pitch every part of the pitch he affects the game You'll see him in one transition moment on the left-hand side. The next transition moment, he'll be on the right-hand side. For me, watching him last night, we haven't seen Carlos Hill play yet. We've seen the other MVP candidates play. Hani Mokhtar looks MVP caliber to me. He looks like the MLS MVP. But a common theme that we've been talking about throughout these games that we've been given the rundown on is, you know, there's always one team that's kind of sitting in and absorbing pressure and then going and, and this kind of playoff format that is no longer a two leg format. It's one and done win or go home. A lot of teams are choosing to play the more safe route. We're going to defend first and then we're going to attack. And that's kind of been Nashville's MO all year long over the mm -hmm. past two years for Gary Smith. Gary Smith built this team on defense and that's something they do really well. They've conceded tied for the least amount of goals in MLS in the regular season with 33. So obviously they're one of the best defensive teams in the league, but that's something they pride themselves on. And in all three matches against Orlando City so far this season, the regular season, they lost the possession battle. Orlando City was in the majority possession 
again mm-hmm. last night, Orlando City, majority possession. And in the moments that we saw Orlando City, or we saw Nashville SC go forward and be dangerous, it wasn't them possessing the ball, knocking the ball in the U-shape around the back, finding a, finding a center mid, a midfielder and then going. It was the transition moments. The moment where CJ Sapong received the ball, held the ball up, hit the Croy, found Hani Mukhtar, opened the space up for him and he scored. Transition moment. Anibal Godoy turned Orlando City over in the midfield, found Hani Mukhtar, and Hani Mukhtar hit the ball, took a deflection. That was off the counter press. Mm-hmm. The other goal was off of, I believe, Cadiz scored, and it was also mm-hmm. off a counter. Mm-hmm. That's what Nashville does. Nashville prides themselves on defense. They're going to absorb your pressure and they're going to attack you in transition. And that's what we've seen these teams be successful in so far in this off or in this in this postseason. Nashville, Sporting Kansas City, Portland late in the game after they got the lead and Minnesota started pressing them. These teams that are conceding the pressure and, and, and going in transition moments, they're the teams that are winning these games. They're protecting their net first. And then going forward. Yeah, so, we'll get ready to talk about it right here in this next game. Talk about parking the bus. My God, 21 shots to zero. Seattle to RSL. 0-0 zero, zero in 120 minutes goes to PKs. RSL, seventh seed versus the two seed. Seattle, 6-5 on PKs. Seattle dominates possession, 62-38. What'd you think of that game, Mike D? I was asleep for half of it. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it was, you know, another West Coast game, you know, staying up late, trying to watch, having to go back the next day and, and watch highlights instead of watching, like, the whole match again. Um, but I think, obviously, you know, there's, there's one, there's, like, two things to be said about this game. You know, Seattle dominated the game. RSL did a really, really good job defending. Like, a fantastic job defending. And... Jordan Morris, who just returned from injury on ACL, um, has been back with Seattle, you know, for like a month. And he started. And if you didn't know that he had an ACL injury, you wouldn't have known. Like, you wouldn't have been able to tell from his performance because he looked like he hadn't missed a step. Uh, The guy was, I thought he played great. Um, he played not scared. He was involved in the attack often. Um, so I, I thought Jordan Morris really was, it was nice to see Jordan Morris back out there again with a start doing Jordan Morris things. Obviously he didn't, he didn't score, but there were opportunities for him to do that. And he was involved often. So I thought Jordan Morris played well. I thought RSL did a great job defensively and that's just really that's all that I have to say about this. I mean, th- you talked about it. Teams in, in this format right now are are absorbing the pressure, and that's exactly what RSL did. Um, they did especially in Zone 14. Um, and then obviously when it goes down to PKs, they 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 got a little bit of help with the you know the uh, the 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 deflection off of. Stephen Fry off, uh, you know, Justin Glad to Stephen Fry's hands off the post and in. Um, yeah. Double, double post, man. Yeah. You know, they, they just get, they got a little bit of luck there. Um, and I think uh, Gary Smith said it in the game, you know, Nashville, Orlando. Sometimes you need a little bit of luck. You know, he's it's just the way that it is. So I, I can't believe it. I did not anticipate Seattle losing in the first round. Uh, I 
I'm sure you were getting ready to mention it, but in, you know, their time in MLS, they haven't, they haven't lost in the first round of the playoffs since 2011. Or you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Yeah. So it, it it's shocking. It's almost, it's almost sad to, to see. And in, in the last, in the last five MLS cups, Seattle has made four and won two. They're a good team, man. And it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be sad not to see them play anymore, but hats off to RSL, man. They, they, they stuck it out and they move on. That's why we play the game, man. You got 90 minutes or in this case, 120 plus penalty kicks, but you play the game to win it. And playing parking the bus style football is a strategy. It's a tactic. And if you win, like, I mean, yeah, people are going to, feel some type of way, especially Seattle fans, but you came out with the better tactics. Seattle couldn't break you down. Well, I say that with a smirk on my face because they had 21 shots. Like they broke you down. They had some shots on goal. One thing you yeah. didn't mention was Ochoa had some decent saves. He had three good saves. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. He exhibited all the confidence in the world. Not that we didn't know that he had all that confidence in the world, but yeah, RSL came out. They did the job. They did what Pablo Master Master whatever. How do you say it? How do you say it? How do you say it? I don't know. <laughs> However, Pablo wanted them to come out and play that the interim head coach. They implemented the game plan. They get the dub. Seattle. Seattle's lost two straight playoff games, Mike D. Mm. Last one was a three nil L. Yo, Brian, Brian Schmetzer out. Brian Schmetzer out, bro. Brian Schmetzer out. One thing that is interesting, though, one thing that is interesting is Freddie Juarez, that was the RSL head coach to about the halfway point of the season, went to the Sounders, relieved Pineda as the assistant head coach, and just coached against RSL, and RSL handed him an L in his first playoff game as the assistant coach of Seattle Sounders. Narratives. Narratives. Also narratives. Only twice has... Seattle lost in the first round of the last cup playoffs. Both times, RSL. Mm-hmm. Seattle have also made MLS Cup playoffs all 13 years they've been in the league. And what's crazy is that is the second longest playoff streak in any American professional sport behind the, I believe, Pittsburgh Penguins, who are at 15 years. So there's your fun mm-hmm. fact of the podcast. Shout yeah. out shout to SeattleSounders.com for that one. I appreciate that. And another little fun fact, because I didn't watch the game. I fell asleep with my laptop on my stomach, and I woke up in the middle of the night and apparently told my girlfriend that the game was going into PKs, and I have no recollection of that. RSL is the only team to win on the round, win on the road in the first round. Mm-hmm. Every, yeah, other home, every other home team won. So, again, it's just absorbing the pressure. You got one game, man. You live to fight yeah. another day. Absorb the pressure. Score your goal. Absorb it even more. Listen, and, it's very simple. You don't let the opponent score goals, and you score more goals than them, and you win the game. I just hope everybody had fun, Mike D. Did you have fun? I, I, hey, man, it, it was a lot of soccer. It was a lot of soccer to watch, and um, it's, I it's like awesome. to watch. So- I like to watch soccer. There's people out there that don't like to watch soccer, but even watching soccer like that, back-to-back games, it's hard to stay. It's hard to keep paying attention for four hours plus straight. You know. So- so for you guys listening, like on a week-to-week basis in the regular season, you don't understand how hard it is for us to try to break down all of the nonsense that happens every single week in this bonkers league that we cover. So now it's like, 
oh, we only have to watch like six games in a weekend over a four or five day span. We can do that. Uh, so it, it's nice to be able to watch more concentrated games and to be able to focus on these teams that we necessarily haven't been able to watch throughout the year and watch some of these stars that we've ignored throughout the year just because we don't get to see them on a weekend, week out basis. And it was fun. I can't wait until the conference semifinals. Those are those are coming up. Who do we have, Mike D? Who do we have in the conference semifinals? <clears throat> By the way, so I can uh, buy so I can buy some time. This is my first time using my actual microphone on the podcast. Shout out to Monte Popkahadze. We also have two other firsts on this podcast. This is my first time wearing jeans on this podcast. I've never actually worn jeans before. I'm wearing real clothes. And the other first is we started recording this podcast when it was still light outside, Mike D. We've never done that before. It's true. Uh, yeah, I thought about that when we started. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, Western Conference semifinals, Colorado versus Portland tomorrow on Turkey Day. You guys tune into that one. I know NFL is king on Thanksgiving, but tune into Colorado versus the Portland Timbers. That's going to be a hell of a match. I can't wait to watch that one after I wake up from my Thanksgiving nap, obviously. Then we have a couple-day break. Sunday, Sporting Kansas City versus RSL, 3 p.m. on ABC. Again, NFL is going to be king that day. Make sure to flip off those 1 p.m. NFL games. Turn on Sporting Kansas City and RSL. That'll be a good one as well. Later that day, 5.30 p.m. on ESPN, Philadelphia Union versus Nashville SC. It's going to be a crazy Eastern Conference semifinal match. Then we have our Supporter Shield winners not playing until freaking Tuesday, man, against New York City FC, 7.30, Tuesday night, FS1. Mike D, a couple podcasts ago, we had Revolution recap on the podcast, and he asked us if there is a team that could take the Revolution down. I said Philly. They're a game away. New York City FC, who you said could take the Revolution down, got them next Tuesday. You think it can happen? I do. I think, I think yeah, I do. Those boys are buzzing. The boys. boys the boys are buzzing, you know? The boys in blue are buzzing, but they're not playing at home. That's all right. That's all right. All right, Mike D. We all we got lives to live, man. That's what I said to my girlfriend before the podcast. We had to get it started. But Mike yeah, D. Man, I got I gotta get out of here, man. I got a life to live. I, I got so much to do after this <laughs> right now. Mike D, do you have any closing thoughts for, for our folks listening? I just want to say Thank you to all of our listeners, as I mentioned in the beginning. Things we're thankful for. Thankful for you, our listeners out there. I hope everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving, spending time with their families, getting fat, eating food, um, enjoys a little bit of time off from the rat race. I know I will be. And excited to watch some more playoff uh, MLS Cup playoffs here. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of MLS Gone Wild. Happy Thanksgiving. We're thankful for you, the listener. We appreciate you. Keep listening to our stuff, following our content. We're on TikTok now, which is kind of crazy. It's not good content, but we're making it. But we're thankful for you. Enjoy your days tomorrow. Please be safe. Go out there, buy yourself something nice on Black Friday. Okay? Enjoy the rest of MLS Cup Playoffs. Mike D will be out of town from December 1st to December 8th. So we might have a couple or at least one special guest on here to help me break down the conference semifinals. But for Mike D and I, until next time, thank you all for listening. Peace.